Hi, and thanks for tuning in to My Adventures at Home Brewing. I'm Dan Matthews, and come along with me as we talk about things for new home brewers, from gadgets to how we got started to, I don't know, all the mistakes we make along the way. So come along for the ride and have a beer or two along the way. looking for that yeast that can help you attain the best beer possible that you're looking for escarpment laboratories escarpment laboratories are located in guelph ontario and make some of the finest yeasts in canada if you want to make the beer that you want and have consistent results all the time you need to check out escarpment laboratories Brew Donkey Tours are back. We closed our doors for the health of our community, but now with new safety protocols, we're getting ready to open the barn doors. Starting July 24th, the donkey rides again. Every ticket includes ample samples, behind the scenes tours, and a healthy dose of learning. Support local breweries and tourism with a brewery tour by bus. Get your tickets before they sell out at brewdonkey.ca. Brew Donkey, brew tours that kick ass. Hey everybody, it's Dan here once again with my adventures in home brewing. Thank you very much for joining us again today. I need to say a quick thank you out to uh, Broken Stick and Brew Donkey for uh, promoting us. Uh, they were very kind in pushing out the uh, posts that we did for their interviews. Guys, it's greatly appreciated. And we'll be going to be coming back to see you guys again soon. Uh, today, we're really fortunate to have one, at least in, in my opinion, one of the most innovative guys out there in the craft beer scene. Uh, his name is Sean McVeigh. He's also a member of Ottawa's Members of Parliament, which is our homebrew club here in Ottawa, called, also known as the Mob. And if I'm right, uh, I believe he has the only sour beer producing brewery in Canada. So hang tight. We'll touch base with Sean and then we'll uh, have a beer or two along the way. So come along. And enjoy the ride. Hey, guys. Dan here. Have you ever had a problem getting your glass or plastic fermenter clean? Well, I've just been introduced to something that's brand new. Uh, it's called Scrubber Duckies. It's a magnetic scrubber meant for glass or plastic fermenters. All you do is you drop this down inside your fermenter, use the handle, and scrub through the crud that's left over from the crucin. I've seen a lot of things, but this is, seems to be one of the neatest and coolest things out there right now. If you're having a problem getting your plastic or glass fermenter clean, this is something to use. Scrubber duckies. And we're back. And like I said, guys, we're really fortunate to have someone that I've that I've known for the well, I guess in the last we've known each other for what in the last year, two years? That's been a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've met Sean a couple of years ago through working over at Stray Dog. And uh, I gotta say his product is really, really cool. Sean, thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, no problem, Dan. So Let's dive into it a little bit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came about to where you are? Okay. Um, well, I, um, oh, geez, how did I get where I am? Um, I basically had been um, doing a bunch of home brewing uh, before I ended up um, opening the brewery here, uh, Small Pony Barrel Works. Um, so uh, I'd probably have to go back like 20 years to when I started brewing. Um, but, you know, it was like a very ghetto kind of... <laughs> Brew from a kit. It was the, the first thing I brewed was, of course, I was at university still. 
uh, had a couple of younger roommates and we were at the grocery store and was like, hey, you can buy a, a can of beer syrup and make beer at home. And it came with like a kit with like a, a carboy and a mm-hmm. and like a hydrometer and stuff. So we said, okay, this seems like a good idea. So we made that. We made a couple of those and they were, you know, not great, but uh, they were still beer. And when you're like, you know, 20. When you're a strap student, it goes Yeah, yeah, there. this is. Exactly. This was a good idea. Um, so then, um, you know, years later, I, I, you know, I retired that that equipment pretty, pretty early after I ended up moving. And uh, yeah, I was finished school. Uh, and it wasn't until I was like traveling, um, visiting a friend in Sweden. And uh, he had brought a bottle of this ginger beer he made, like, like, not like alcoholic ginger beer, really, but like, you know, homemade with like brown sugar, ginger, lime leaves, boiled up. Uh, fermented ever so lightly with champagne yeast and just like a nice effervescent drink. And I was like, oh, geez, this is so good. You got to tell me how you made this. And he gave me the recipe and I was like, okay, I think I have all the equipment to do this. And I like dusted off all the homebrewing gear to like, you know, to, to, to make this in. And, you know, found it all in the basement and uh, and said, oh, geez, I, I really got to get back into making beer again sometime. I forgot all about this. And um, so, you know, uh, I was talking some fr- to some friends who had also been into brewing lately and they were sort of daring me to get it was a friend in South Africa who was coming home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he had like dared me to have beer ready for him to drink at Christmas. So like I like rushed, assembled like an electric three vessel brewery in like uh, a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Like, the jankiest controller with wires hanging out of it everywhere. Like made it <laughs> myself the day before I needed to brew. So, and, you know, like with the intent of like, well, I'll stuff all these wires in somewhere eventually and we'll make it nice. But then like, I think it was like four or five years that that still looked the same, still looks the same in my basement, actually. There you go. But uh, but yeah, I spent, sorry, Dan, I spent, uh, I spent about five years homebrewing before I decided uh, that I really wanted to uh, get out here and do my own uh, sort of brewery project. Cool, but that's that's kind of sounds like the same for any home brewer, really. You know, you throw together what works and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And uh, so, like the first the first year I was back into home brewing, I think I did something like twenty six different beers. I was just like plowing my way through the Brewing Classic Styles book, and then uh, you know the advice on sour beers was always like. Uh, you know, brew a lambic type beer around Christmas and then just brew another one the next Christmas and that one will be ready. And you can always like you're always waiting like a year for these things to be ready. So like start now and just get them going. So it, it took mm-hmm. quite a while before I tasted my first sour beer, really. OK. Um, and because uh, there were really no examples out in the stores, you, you could maybe find Rodenbach if you knew which store it was coming to at Christmas that that week. Yes. Otherwise, they were selling out really fast. So I you know, uh, basically had to make our own and, and ended up making a nice Berliner Weiss once and like took it to like a, a homebrew competition, like yep. with friends thinking like, oh, this is great. And like when we were scoring them all at the table, drinking them all, there was like maybe like 10 different beers to try. I was like, oh, this is my least favorite one. And it turned out it was mine. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, I, I got to talking to people. This was like a kettle soured one, I think. So I, I ended up talking with all the other guys who made really nice ones and like learning what their processes were, how they were working with like uh, wild, wild yeast and wild fruit mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, lacto from grains and stuff like that and said, OK, well, I'm going to try that next time. And that's when I got into the sort of like year long brewing projects. Right. And I grabbed a barrel, got a wine barrel out of Niagara, parked it in my basement and then realized I needed like a lot of brewing to fill a, a, a like 225 liter barrel uh, oh, I, thankfully, by, thankfully by then i had like 
like a 15 or 20 gallon setup. So I could brew like say four brew days to fill it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still, then the next problem you run into like a year later is I don't have enough friends to drink all this beer. (laughs) (laughs) And then once, and then, you know, you start thinking like, well, what if I put a couple barrels in my basement and started making beer? Like, you know, Chris over at Evergreen Craft Dales had like been running a brewery out of his garage for a year. Mm -hmm. And I had chats with him about his process and, you know, other people with small breweries and, you know, one thing kind of led to another, you know, before I realized, like, well, I, this isn't really something I can do at home. I really need to find a place to do it if I want to do it. So right. that's down the down the rabbit hole to where we are today. <laughs> right on. So, you know, what led to I mean, why go all in on a only sour beer brewery? Or were you, were you that confident that it was going to be successful or were you like, well, what the hell? Let's go for it. It was, yeah, it was kind of a, it was, you know, like I was really focused on the sour beers at that time. Like I had sort of slowed down brewing other things and trying to focus on those and like doing different fruits and splitting batches up and blending them and just trying to track down other examples. And then uh, for my birthday that that year before we really got, you know, heavy into the planning the brewery, I took a nice drive from Portland all the way to San Diego on the West Coast. I always wanted to do that like Highway 1 drive. And uh, I stopped in and met like the owners of a whole bunch of the breweries on the West Coast that were just focusing on sour beers, you know. And of course, like the uh, the Sour Hour podcast was pretty influential too, and just mm-hmm. all that, and like just getting all the info and, and and notes from all the other brewers that were on that show, and then just you know going out and meeting a bunch of these people and like talking about, you know, because in the states there have been a bunch of breweries that are basically focused on sour beers only or mainly, right? Like Cascade or the Rare Barrel yeah. or. Yeah. the guard and i met you know went to all those places and said well this looks like a thing that could work right and at the same time i didn't want to just jump in and open a, a, a brewery that's you know doing this relatively the same thing that everyone else is doing right i wanted to sort of focus on doing one thing like you know the steam whistle model right like right do one thing well so that's kind of, and and it's funny because if I was saying I'm going to do stouts, well, uh, you know, you'd probably still be able to do quite a few different kinds of stouts, sweet stouts, all that stuff. But I think the sour beer, the, like the family of beers that fall under that envelope, or not envelope, but whatever, whatever <laughs> there. I guess if you were inserting names into an envelope, they'd all go in the same envelope. Uh, and it was quite a broad category, so I think I think it, it there was still enough uh, enough room to explore a whole bunch of different. Uh, different variations and different types of sour beers. So it seemed like there would be enough ammunition. (laughs) Nice. So now I've seen the brewery. I've I've actually had your sours and they're fantastic. Um, Now I know that you only have like, I think it's one fermenter. Yep. And then from there you go into barrels so why why not have more than one fermenter so you have more than one going at one time well they cost a lot of money well yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean really really it's because we only brewing like we you know when i was planning the brewery i was looking at like should i just buy a 200 liter brew house like something very small that's enough to brew and fill one barrel and we just brew you know but then you know you realize that maybe you don't want to spend all your time brewing always. Um, so we, we ended up sizing a system that would uh, allow us to brew sort of, you know, once every couple of weeks or something. I think in my plans, I was trying to do like two, between two and four brews a month, but you know, we end up brewing maybe twice a month. Okay. So we don't need 
rows and rows of fermenters because we have, uh, you know, 320 hacks of fermentation space just in the barrels alone, or more than that. I think it's like 360 hacks. So there's 160 wine barrels in the brewery. So there's lots of room. Like most of the time is spent waiting when you're making sour beers. So uh, you don't you don't need to keep things in a tank for more than about a week just to get them. And, and, no. and some breweries actually do brew and go straight into barrels, but then you've got sort of, uh, you know, fermentation mess coming out the top of the barrels for a couple of weeks and it's going all over the floor and guys yeah. love it and everything. So I think just containing everything to a, a single tank and um, a, a great book, if anyone wants to check it out, is called, it's, it's, I believe it's called American Sour Beers or American Sours. It was by Michael Tonsmeyer and it, it, it had a lot of great info from a whole bunch of other breweries as to what their processes like technically look like. So they had a lot of flow charts, you know, brew, ferment, go into these barrels for this long and then blend back into tanks, la la la. And there were a whole bunch of different good examples of how other breweries operate that, you know, I, I kind of weigh, weigh costs and benefits and space and, and, and came to the, came to the process we're currently using. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's nice to not have to tie up space with a bunch of $20,000 tanks I believe yeah. I got all of my barrels for for it around that cost, or maybe a little more. So uh, I mean, like just the <laughs> I, I spend most of my money on rent and, and time, okay, right? So <laughs> <laughs> so how many times can you use one of the barrels? Because I know once you're done fermenting, you I think it's dependent on the on the, on the type that you're doing. It, it dictates which kind of barrel it's going to get. So if it's like a like a Chardonnay, or if it's like um, a Pinot or whatever else, it's dependent on the style you're going to make, right? Um, uh, well, we don't we don't have anything other than red wine barrels, so okay. we're, we're using the same ones, and by the time we get them there, there's not a whole lot of um, of oak character left in the barrels. Like, if you're making a, you know, bourbon barrel-aged stout, you're putting a beer into a barrel that's, like, still got some booze in it, or at least there's a lot of booze character soaked into the wood. So you're really looking for like that oaky kind of beer, but like these sour beers, we're not using the barrels for flavor so much as they're just, they're like, they're like little fermenters that breathe micro right. amounts of oxygen over the course of like the years and months. Um, so that's, that's why they're used. Uh, and also cause they are inexpensive and you can stack them to move them around. You can split things up and run a whole bunch of experiments. So, it's nice. We've, you know, we've basically got 160 small fermenters here, so we can really, uh, really run a lot of experiments. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, uh, and also the fact that we got the barrels all at once. And of course it took like six months to produce enough beer to fill them all. We had to keep, you know, steaming them and rinsing them and keeping them uh, freshly hydrated and stored with citric acid and sulfites and stuff to keep, you know, prevent mold growth. Right. So by the time we got to filling some of them, they were quite, uh, you know, they had been stored in, in water or, or, or whatever for, for months. So any any barrels that, uh, you know, we would have maybe had some wine in the bottom of them when they showed up, was that was long gone. But, right. you know, it's nice to always, if you if you happen to live in a region where you've got wineries down the road that are turning out barrels every summer, um, it's great to be able to pick up those fresh barrels and just put beer right in. And then you do actually pick up a bit more of that wine character, but, mm -hmm. but you know, Oak wise, they're, they're pretty stripped out by the time uh, the breweries get them. Like the wineries will use them for like four years or so before. Right. And they've, they've got all the Oak in their wines. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I'm going to ask, ask you this question then um, when it comes to home brewing and say, if I want to do a kettle sour, how does a home brewer go about that? Right. Right. So, you know, kettle souring is pretty uh, like you know innovative process. That was uh, I don't know where it originated. I kind of want to 
say it was like you know some of the German style beers like the Gosas and uh, and Berliner yeah, and those and, like yeah. so it's a process of souring the beer before you actually like boil it or add hops to it because so hops are I'll I'll just rewind a moment there uh, hops really started going into beer a couple hundred years ago when they the beers needed to be be more you know shelf stable and preserved because beers will go mm-hmm. sour naturally if they're left alone. Uh, but hops have like this sort of antibacterial preservative quality that'll prevent things from souring. So like this, you know, the, you know, the IPAs when they started being sent, you know, England started sending their beers to the colonies and they were getting there and they were soured. That's when they, you know, really started using more hops in their beers. Um, so if you were to hop a beer, it's generally not going to go sour. So what you end up having to do in the kettle souring is, is basically sour a beer using bacteria before you have to hop it. So usually that's before the boil, right? So, Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple ways to do that. You can either do a sour mash where you would like just put the beer on t- onto the grains and let the wild wild uh, yeasts and bacteria that might be sitting on the grains uh, actually okay. wake up and start to sour the wort before you've boiled it. Um, or you right. can you know finish your mash, get it all in a kettle, add some lab lactobacillus uh, from from like a yeast provider, uh, and leave it and keep it warm. Uh, and leave it like overnight or for a couple of days until the pH drops. And then you finish your beer like a normal beer, right? So so this is a nice quick process that lets people get that sour character in their beer and uh, and get them finished uh, quicker. Uh, and mm-hmm. it also is much safer on all your equipment downstream, right? So all your fermentation gear doesn't have to be, you know, flagged and put aside as being soured or whatever. Right. You've boiled it all. You've killed everything in the kettle. Yeah. Okay. But I've seen some people actually use like a, a yogurt inside oh, yeah. of the, the kettle to help sour it is that is that possible yeah so i mean the the bacteria that sours beer is the same one that makes yogurt generally so uh lactobacillus which you'll find all over all over the place um so you can actually take like a i i wouldn't recommend throwing like a cup of yogurt into your beer I, i'm not sure quite how the milk solids would all settle out but you can absolutely take like a you know a teaspoon of of yogurt and culture it in some sugar or word or something like make a starter and then decant off the lacto out of that. That I, I know that's a, a decent way to do it. Some people in the States also, they have access to these like uh, these health drinks that are like probiotic drinks. So one mm-hmm. that keeps popping up and uh, all the, all the groups I see with people in the States is good belly. So they make like a, a probiotic drink that's jammed full of lactobacillus and, uh, and it's like a fruit drink, right? So they'll take like the mango good belly and just pitch that into their kettle. Right. That's, that seems to be a really popular way of doing it in the States. You can also go to the drugstore and find like lactobacillus pills, right? Probiotic pills. Got to be a little careful yeah. with those because you might got to make sure you're not getting the ones with like other bacteria in them that you might not want. There's, you know, but there's some good resources online. Uh, if you ever check the Milk the Funk wiki, um, that's, a, that's a really good resource for like alternate lacto sources. Um, and mm-hmm. they'll they'll list off, you know, things that you would want to see in a bottle of pills and not want to see. So some people just crack a couple of little capsules into their starter and then use that to make beer. Yeah. Okay. So now if I wanted to do it your way, which is you have your, your, your kettle, your mash, uh, and then you siphon off the wort and then you put it into the fermenter and you do your lactobacillus and everything that way. What do I need to mean? I have an idea. I mean, I know I need once I commit one fermenter to this style of beer, that's all it's going to do. Um, but what else should we kind of be looking at 
when we want to do it your way. I mean, I, I've thought of maybe going to Urban Barrel and getting some of the little, oh, yeah. their little, the little casks, and and do and doing it that way. But then I heard, heard you just say maybe go to a winery, and then like from where I am in Orleans, Ontario, uh, there's down in Navin, there's a um, uh, Pedro winery. Oh, nice. I could probably just what's that? I said nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can go there and maybe get a get a big barrel. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a couple ways to do it. So the way I do it, and the way I did it to start, I, I would just basically. I think I was buying some uh, lacto strains from uh, White Labs or whoever at the time. Uh, Escarpment Labs here in Ontario is a really good source for all kinds of uh, bacteria and, and brett and things like that nouadays. They they even have blends that are designed for kettle souring. They're extremely intolerant to any kind of hops, but. The, f- the first thing you're going to want to do is use like none or very few hops in your in your beer unless you have access to some aged hops that have like been totally debittered down to like zero AA then you can throw in like a good goodly amount and it also turns right. out that some of those other oils and and, and and acids in the hops are really good for uh, they're, they're they're like the precursors to that kind of funky character that you get in like some lambic beers and stuff but uh, you know starting with like no hops is a really good good way to do it or like one ibu two ibus like the first beer we made here at the brewery had i think three ibus and it didn't sour it took like six months before it started to even look like it was going sour so i would definitely aim for none or very few so you make your beer uh then you can just do it in a carboy you can you can just run your run your beer out into a carboy uh and you know there's a couple ways to do it you can either throw some lacto in first let it get sour then throw yeast in the downside with that and and that's kind of the same order that you would do a kettle soured beer in is that you're now pitching your yeast into a, like a super acidic environment and it can stress the yeast, right? You can shock the yeast and you might end up with some off flavors that way. Uh, generally yeah. the way I started here was I grabbed, I grabbed like the sac trois strains, I think from uh, escarpment. Um, I grabbed a few, few Brett strains, which I added later in secondary. And I grabbed a whole mm-hmm. bunch. I think I ended up with like five different lactose from those guys, like a whole range of them. Uh, and I just put the yeast and the lacto in the in the beer at the same time, and then just cap it off in the fermenter and leave it and come back. Like just put it in a dark corner and don't be tempted to open it and taste it. Just like leave it alone for like six months. <laughs> Is it? Can you do that instead of a fermentation? Uh, well, you can put it in any environment you want. Like everything we do here is done at room temperature, and even I think we we've even we've even we go into our fermenter around 25 degrees usually. So pretty warm and, you know, things heat up towards 30 sometimes or even further depending on the yeasts. But uh, we're not really worried about, you know, like yeast get stressed and they'll throw other esters as they get hotter or too cold. And we don't really care. We, we like a lot of those fruity notes. We like all that right. stuff is going to end up just getting chewed up by Brett sometime down the road anyways. So um, yeah. Okay. But but nowadays when we brew, everything is all like one kind of mixed culture here. So like Brett, Lacto, Sack, they're all in the same right. container and we just throw them into the tank with our brew um, and just leave it leave it alone and forget about it. <laughs> uh, if you, and, and now in, in terms of getting a barrel, you got to be careful with that. Like if you were thinking like, oh, I'll get a little 20 liter barrel, got to be really careful yeah. about that stuff because like in a small barrel, there's way more surface area on the inside of the barrel. Um, so mm-hmm. you're going to extract a lot more of that oak character really fast. So especially if it's like a new barrel, you're not going to, yeah. you know, you're going to get like a lot of oak character really fast out of that. Like I'd almost suggest if you had a small barrel to like put a, put a couple stouts through it first to get, get some of that oak worn down. 
and then do your first sour beer in it. But if you happen to pick up like a used barrel from a winery or something, you can go, you can go nuts right away um, with that. Uh, but you, you also okay. don't need to use a barrel. There's not not, a, not any reason. You can make sour beers nicely. I mean, uh, like I think Bellwoods, their Jelly King beer is made, I believe it's like a five-week tank sour. So they do a mixed ferment. I, lots of guys like Blood Brothers too. Like a lot of these brewers, mm-hmm. um, they'll do uh, ferments just right in stainless. Um, so that's the same at home. You can just do these right in a carboy. If you do want to try and add a little oak character to it, you can buy, you can pick up like those oak cubes or anything yeah. from the store or like put a stave in a, in a, in a carboy with your beer for, for a month or two. You know, mm-hmm. there's any, any number of ways to, to play around with oakiness. So I, I've seen recently that there's a new style of, uh, of making beer, which is like pressure fermentation. Can you do that with a, uh, a sour beer? I don't know anything about that. Oh, so basically what I know for pressure fermentation is, is like uh, at home I have, um, it's called a Firmzilla. It's a clear plastic unit tank that I get from a company called Kegland. And uh, I'll have the beer put in and I'll seal it. And then on the top, there's the two ball lock connectors. And one is for a gas line. So then I would pressurize it to 12 PSI and have a spunding valve on okay. it. And, and the other side is for when you want to actually pull off to see where everything is at. So kind of like a sample. Pack. Okay. And then within about, I don't know, I think that the rule of thumb is like anywhere from eight to 10 days. So for eight to 10 days from grain to glass. Nice. And then it's already, uh, it suppresses a lot of like the nasty off flavors, but also naturally carbonates at the same time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I... I... Uh, you know, uh, car- you'll get carbonated part of the way. You won't get all the way there because, of course, you're at room temperature. If you're if you're running it cold, like in a in a you know in a in a fridge or a fermentation chamber, obviously you'll carb it better. But yeah, so spunding is something that's you know d- done all over the place. Uh, lots of brewers do mm-hmm. that. So that's that's the process of uh, closing the uh, the cap on the tank. You know, in the last uh, you know quarter of the fermentation or whatever, in order to uh, and you know this is required in Germany, right? Like. Uh, according to their beer purity laws, you can't, oh, add, yeah, you can't like add carbonation. Yeah. It's like things have to be done a specific way to meet their, uh, their requirements. Their there. Um, yeah. So spunding is definitely done in Germany. Lots of loggers. I, I think next door to me here at Big Rig, uh, there's spunding valves on, on most of the tanks. So yeah, that, and it's also a way to save buying CO2 and to, you know, not emit CO2 into the into the atmosphere while you're fermenting. I mean, if you can keep it most of it in the beer, that's great. Of course, a full fermentation is going to be way, way, way too much CO2. So you you got to let some of it off. But no, I've never tried. Uh, I've never tried to uh, ferment a, a sour under pressure. Uh, once it's in barrels, it's going to be, you know, totally not under pressure anyways. So like, right. keep pressure into the oak barrels. So it's not something I've looked at, but uh, definitely, I think you could probably play around with. Uh, Okay. I think fermentations tend to go a bit slower with the sour sour beers, though, because of the uh, the low lower pH and the stress right. on the yeasts. Um, but uh, do you want to let me know how it goes, man? <laughs> I was going to say maybe it was an experiment for you, well, but now the the gauntlet's been thrown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you might even I'd I'd say if anybody has that kind of equipment, I would I'd be tempted to like brew your beer, take it out of the the kettle, let it uh, go into your fermenter around forty degrees. Like, so when you're up in the mid thirties, you know, once it cools down to the mid thirties, pitch some lacto in then, and then as it cools down the next day, throw your yeast in 
So it's because that lac lacto likes to work at like body temperature sort of temperature ranges, right? And some yeast yeah. also too, if you're using any of these kvike yeasts too, those might be a good candidate for throwing in with your lacto at the same time. So that, that might be a fun way to try and do a quick soured beer. And then, you know, obviously once it drops below 20 degrees or so, you can cap it and let it keep going um, and, and, and close your spunding valve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So what do you have on the go now? What's new and exciting coming out of oh. uh, Small Pony? Oh, God. Uh, we're bottling a half-scap beer right now. We just did a wild blueberry beer that we haven't done since 2018. Um, this year, we're kind of playing around a bit more with hops. Um, so a lot of our okay. beers, like, uh, so we do, like, maybe 20 different beers in a year or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of them end up being, um, you know, this beer plus this fruit or this beer plus this hop. So, like, like very basic things and you know for our club we'll obviously do like lots of weird crazy things but most of the time it's like a, a a blonde sour beer with raspberries or with cherries or a dark beer with raspberries or you know whatever like we pick two things and do it so this year we're spending a bit more time trying to you know mix things up a bit more make it make make a little more uh, complex thing so we've 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 wanted to play a bit more with hops so we've taken some of our fruit beers and we're now starting to do hop hoppy versions of them so like you know, like someone like uh, Bellwoods might have their Jelly King beer, which is a, a fantastic dry hop sour. Uh, yep. They um, they release a bunch of fruit versions of that beer, right? So you can get like the mango one or the, you know, the one with the three tropical fruits or this or that. So we're, we're kind of doing the opposite. We're, we're going to try taking one of our popular fruit beers like Jam Hands, which is our raspberry beer, and do like yep. different hop versions of it instead. So we're, that's, we're the first one is out like a, a week or two ago called hot mm -hmm. and this is uh so it's our raspberry uh, uh golden sour with uh we use barb rouge hops which is like this new hop out of france i think well yeah i've never heard of so so it was chris my uh, brewer's idea to uh to use this hop because he had heard it had a lot of really berry like kind of components to it like lots of berry aromas and so okay. we reached out to the importer and he's like oh good 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 thing that you contact me i'm the only one importing them and all the other hop suppliers are buying them from me so oh there you so go he sent me some samples <laughs> to try it out and we've uh, yeah so the beer is really fun it's got like it's like that that really jammy raspberry kind of thing and then like this nice berry hop character i was even wondering could we try and use columbus or other ctz type hops to just do like a dank raspberry beer you know because we've done so many like obviously the sour beers go really well with citrusy hops like citra galaxy mosaic these ones but I think it, I think it'd be fun to explore some of the pioneer resiny kind of stuff as well, or floral ones. Kind of be fun. Yeah, that that sounds fantastic, man. All right, so now, as I ask all my guests at the end of the show, because we're gonna get ready to wrap this sucker up, is what currently is your favorite beer, and what is one of your favorite breweries, say either in Canada or North America? Oh God. <laughs> oh, this is the worst go. favorite beer. Um, geez, uh, I don't. You know what? I, it, it always stands out in my head. But um, this beer, Blood Brothers, did like a year ago or two years ago. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but and you should be able to find it on their website pretty easily. It was a beer that they made with uh, pineapple and mango and carrot. So oh. they used so much carrot juice. They, 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 they made it like opaque orange. So this was like this, I, awesome. I can't remember if it was a sour or if it was an IPA to start 
or like a New England IPA, but like the pineapple made it super sour. And uh, it was just like such a great, like there was so much character to that beer and like it was so smooth and like just so interesting and unique. And I I really love that beer and I want to get my hands on more of it. Um, But yeah, that, that, that's probably my favorite. There's so many good New England IPAs out there right now too, but like I don't go out and buy a lot of beer. I just kind of like other breweries drop them off and they end up in our fridge here. And so, right. You know, there's great stuff. I I love, I love a lot. So many of the things Sada City's doing, the guys at Bacchanadai and Gatineau are doing great Mm -hmm. stuff. Stray Dog's doing some excellent New England style IPAs as well, but yeah, you know, I, that yeah, one always yeah. stands out to me as like, I will, I will seek it out the next time I see it, 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 it come, come around. <laughs> and, and, that, and, and for a good story that, that beer. I, yeah. So it must've been last summer we had that beer because we had a beer that we brewed here. It was a Saison that refused to get sour for us again, probably because it had like five IBUs to it. We, we uh-huh. in barrels of the Saison for like two years. Uh, and we ended up, finding out that we, as long as we put that beer into a tank full of fruit, the sugars in the fruit were enough to like wake the lacto up and generate some sourness. So we used it, we blended it a bit with some blueberry beers and here right. and there um, for beers that we thought didn't need to be too sour. But after okay. that pineapple carrot mango beer, um, it really like a light bulb went on that, Oh, we can use a really acidic fruit like pineapple to lend a lot of acidity to this beer on top of like waking up the lacto a bit. So we took that Saison and made this beer called Tropical Apocalypse Black Spall, which was this straight up pineapple bomb. And I, I contacted the brewer too at, uh, at Blood Brothers and they told me like, oh, we used about 10%, you know, it was 10% pineapple maybe. Uh, and, and we ended up going like to, all the way to 25%, I think with that. So we, no messing we, around. we used a way, uh, like a ton of pineapple in that beer and it, it like worked out really good. Like the beer came across as sour, it's just smelled like straight up pineapple. It was like drinking pineapple juice, but but beery. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, Sean, I gotta say thank you very much for this. It was greatly appreciated. Maybe hopefully down the line we could touch base again for another another visit down the road for the podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dan, and uh, have a great weekend. Have a great rainy weekend. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so, guys. If you can, show Sean and uh, Small Pony some love. Go out, see them out in, out in uh, Canada, here in Ottawa, Ontario, and get one of uh, my favorites, which is uh, uh, They Go Up, or They Grow Up, which is their cherry sour. My opinion is one of the best ones they make, plus their blueberry sour, if it, Sean has yeah. it, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Sean, thank you again, and we'll be in touch, brother. All right. Thanks so much, Dan. Cheers, dude. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in this week. And I need to say thank you to Sean for being a part of this week's episode. Fantastic guy. Fantastic beer. If you ever get a chance to go out to Canada in the West End of Ottawa, please do everything you can to go and check this place out. It is absolutely one of the coolest breweries here that we have. I also need to apologize for the sound quality. I've been having issues with my computer. I finally got it fixed. So the quality will be back to normal. Thanks again, guys, for coming along for the ride and beer or two along the way, and I'll see you on the other side.